good morning to everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's good that you're here. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, it is a special, uh, special day for us. We're celebrating uh, a staff member's anniversary. Two years ago this week, our personnel committee made an addition to our staff. And honestly, at the time, they had no idea the level of insanity they were releasing into the congregation. Uh, but this week, we celebrate two years with Matt Betts as our student pastor. He's uh, in the cafe worship, not in this room. So let's make some noise, show some love for Matt Betts. Everybody, please. Yeah. Those of you in cafe worship, uh, stroke his beard and let him know how much you love him. We, we, we all love you, Matt. Uh, Matt, you're a, a man of, of deep heart and devotion to Christ, and it is a pleasure to minister with you every day. On behalf of all the staff, man, uh, we love ministering and making fun of you. Uh, so, uh, so God bless you. Uh, God grant us many more years to minister together. Luke chapter 5, starting a new message series today entitled The Walking Dead. It's nothing to do with the television show, uh, but everything to do with your spiritual life or, or maybe lack of spiritual life. One of the ironies of Jesus' ministry on earth was that the people who ended up hating Jesus the most were the very ones who claimed to love God the most. You with me? Called the Pharisees. In Jesus' day, it was a, a, a group of men who were very, very religious. Now, in our day, as Bible readers, we are inclined always to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys, and, and in the gospel story, they are. But understand, in their day, in Jesus' day, nobody saw them that way. Nobody saw Pharisees as hypocrites. No one saw them as being false or mean or, or in any way worthy of anything but honor. That They respected and loved the Pharisees. The Pharisees were men of very high moral standards. The Pharisees were men who were very concerned about what was happening in their nation. They were very concerned about the moral decline in society. They were very concerned about the way that others tended not to take God's word seriously. And so the Pharisees took a stand and they did their very best to live a life that would honor God. And I'm telling you, in their day, you would have loved them. The Pharisees were our kind of people, and that's the problem. That's the problem. Because when Jesus came along, he exposed the Pharisees in a way that they really were not prepared to be exposed. And he revealed their hypocrisy. And nobody else saw them as hypocrites, and they couldn't see themselves as hypocrites either. And that is why eventually the Pharisees took the lead in trying to get Jesus uh, taken care of. They simply could not bear the truth about themselves. That's the thing. In our religious lives, we can very easily manage the appearance. We can manage what happens on the outside. And some of us as religious people, we get very good at that. Very good at doing right things, saying right things, showing up in church, and always giving people the right impression. But your spiritual life has less to do with the person you are on the outside and more to do with the person you are on the inside. And Jesus said to the Pharisees that the outside looks good, but inside there is nothing but spiritual rot and decay. Let's take a first look today at Scripture, Luke chapter 5. Uh, we read these stories often with other purposes, but today I want to read two stories back to back, and I want you to watch the Pharisees. I want you to look in the mirror of God's Word and see if you might see yourself today in the Pharisees from Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. 
one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles and they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus, get this, Jesus knew what they were thinking So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, go home. Immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe and they praised God exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Grandparents gave their grandson, who was the preacher's son, a basketball goal. And so the dad, the preacher, promised his son that he would hang it on the garage. But you know how it is. That goal laid out there by the garage for like two weeks, and dad just never, ever got around to it. Finally, he made a promise to his son. He said, I will hang that basketball goal this weekend, no matter what. I'll get it up this weekend. He's a pastor. So it turned out there was a death in the church on Friday. There was a funeral on Saturday. So the dad, the pastor, just never got that goal hung for his son. He felt horrible. And then Sunday came around, and he preached Sunday morning. At lunch, sometime during lunch, he just decided, I'm going to hang that goal. I'm going to finish up lunch. I'm going to go out, get the ladder, and I'm going to hang the goal for my son Understand, you wouldn't normally do that kind of thing on Sunday. He kind of felt that that was not what you should ordinarily do on Sunday work. Uh, but still, he felt like that the Lord would understand a promise to his son. And so he went out, got the ladder, and started hanging the goal. Now, if the Lord understood the promise to the son, the church lady didn't. Church lady was driving home from lunch. She had been to lunch at KFC, and she was coming by the preacher's house, and she looked out and saw the preacher in his blue jeans up on a ladder hanging a basketball goal on Sunday. He was doing it on a Sunday. And so she thought to herself, somebody needs to tell this preacher. Somebody needs to tell him. So she took it on herself to park in the driveway, get out, and wag her finger, arm fat, just flapping. She was just wagging her finger and telling him all about it. She was telling him how he shouldn't work on Sunday 
that the Bible forbids any kind of work on Sunday. And not only was he working on Sunday, but here she was out there in the driveway letting him have it. He was working on a Sunday right out in public where everybody could see. And that was a horrible witness for a preacher. Call yourself a preacher. But it was also a horrible witness for the church. The whole community can see our pastor up there working on a Sunday. Pastor tried not to throw a hammer, just came down the ladder very, very calmly, and he said, ma'am, just remember that, that, that in the scriptures, in the New Testament, at least on occasion, Jesus actually picked corn on the Sabbath. Church lady looked at the preacher and said, two wrongs don't make a right. It'll come to you later. Two wrongs don't make a right. Does she hear what she just said? That, that somehow Jesus was wrong too? Two wrongs don't make a right. It, it's as if Jesus himself isn't going to please this lady. Jesus himself, Jesus' righteousness would not be enough for church lady. She couldn't have possibly heard or, or understood the humor or the irony in what she said. And that's the thing about Pharisees. They just hardly ever see anything about themselves. They don't hear it coming out of their mouths. They don't see it pouring out of their hearts. They just don't see themselves very well. And that's the horrible part about being a Pharisee. You become a Pharisee without even really knowing it. It's very difficult. Most people who slip into being Pharisees do it accidentally. They don't understand what's happened because it tends to come out of a real desire to love God and please Him. And who doesn't want to love God and please Him? It comes from a desire to, to do right things and say right things. And it comes from a desire to live by the book. And who doesn't want to do that? But the problem is when that zeal begins to take over. And before long, this desire to please Christ becomes more about pleasing yourself. But you don't see that. You don't know that. It happens so slowly, so accidentally. So let's take a look at the Pharisees in Luke chapter 5. Maybe there are some marks of Pharisees here that would help us understand if we ourselves are on that progression to becoming like them. But verse 17, notice this. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up. It's, it's interesting. They show up. Now, ordinarily, what Jesus wanted were followers, not show-uppers. You understand? He wanted followers, not people who just came and went, not people who just showed up sometimes. But the Pharisees are not followers. They're just show-uppers. They just show up. And the fact that they show up is very interesting and very complicated. And in the course of this story, very, very tragic, the fact that they just show up. You see, when Jesus called disciples, when Jesus later calls Matthew to be his disciple, he doesn't invite him just to show up sometimes. He doesn't invite him to come and go as he pleases. He invites him into an everyday relationship of following. And the disciples' purpose in following was not just to tag along, but a disciple follows in order to become like the teacher. You see? When Jesus says, follow me, the idea is that you follow with a purpose, with the goal of becoming like Jesus. The Pharisees are not followers. They're not becoming like Jesus. As a matter of fact, they just show up. And when they show up, they make sure they always get the best seats. 
Because that's what Pharisees do. Understand, they get there early. They put their Bible and their purse in the pew because they want their seat. They want the very best seat because they feel like they deserve the best seat. You see? And notice that the Pharisees sort of make up what what Luke calls the, the crowd. And the crowd in this story has a very interesting function. And if you read through the Gospel of Luke, the crowd always has an interesting function. Now, you would think it would be a very positive thing that when Jesus preaches or teaches that there's a crowd, that he draws a big number. Because you want as many people as possible to hear Jesus, right? But the problem is, it's the crowd that actually keeps people from getting to Jesus. All through the Gospel of Luke, it's the crowd that's actually in the way. So you have the Pharisees who get here, they get here early, and they make sure that they are getting all the best seats. So it's the Pharisees who have the front row and the second row and the third row. It's the Pharisees who have filled this house. So that when there is a man, a paralyzed man, who desperately needs to get to Jesus, he can't even get within a hundred yards of Jesus. Interesting. This is what the Pharisees do. That they're there, but not followers. That they're not becoming like Jesus. For the most part, they're not even listening to Jesus. They just show up, take the best seats, and block the way. Once when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he said, you guys, you guys, you you, you do this. You you come and you stand in the door. It's like the kingdom of heaven has a door and you stand in the door. You won't come in. You won't go out. You just stand in the door. But because you stand in the door, nobody else can get in either. So... Those of us who tend to be in the crowd at church or the crowd around Jesus, we really have to ask ourselves, are are we followers or are we just the ones who show up every time and take the best seats? But are we actually, instead of coming to Jesus, are we keeping other people from getting to Jesus? You've probably heard about Gandhi, the great, great Hindu teacher. You probably don't know that at one point Gandhi was very, very drawn to Christianity. He was escorted out of a Baptist church once because he was, his skin was the wrong color. You know about this, right? Gandhi later in his life made this statement. He said, I really like your Christ, but I don't care for your Christians. Your Christians are nothing like your Christ. Understand? Man, we're here every single Sunday, and we don't even realize the way that by blocking the way to the kingdom of heaven, we're keeping people out. We don't necessarily go in ourselves. We don't follow Jesus to become like him. We just sort of show up, keep others away. We don't mean to do that. Notice what else? It's heartbreaking. Verse 21. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, they said to themselves, and it's interesting, who does he think he is? Now, good Pharisees, they don't say this stuff out loud. They just think it. You with me? Good Pharisees, they don't say this stuff out loud. Now, they are just sitting there in the house. Jesus is teaching, and they're sitting there with their Bibles out, and they're taking notes. 
and they have the most pleasant expression on their face. And honestly, that's the thing. You'd never know. You and I would never know what's going on inside their heads. But Jesus knows. He always knows. He's not fooled. But, but the Pharisees, never all, they, they just never say what's in their head. They just think it. And because we never let it come out of our mouths, we feel like that's okay. But, but notice what's inside their heads. It, it's this very critical spirit. Very critical, judgmental spirit. I mean, this is it. And, and in this case, they're actually judging and criticizing Jesus. Who does he think he is? They don't say it. Pharisees never say it. They just think it. Who does he think he is? It's blasphemy. Only God could do what he claims. Only God could do what he thinks he's doing. Who does he think he is? You notice that they never turn that question around. Nobody ever gets to say to the Pharisees, who do you think you are? But Jesus was the one to say that. That's why they didn't care much for him. Who do you think you are? That, that critical judgmental spirit, that, that inner Simon Cowell that some of you have, it's really the surest sign that, that you're really becoming something of a Pharisee. Anytime you sort of set yourself up to criticize or you really believe that it's your job to come into worship or come into the house or come in at work or school, wherever you go, Whoever it is that, that, that sets you up, that made you think that you get to criticize the rest of the world, that you get to judge the rest of the world. This is absolutely one of the most frustrating things to people about church people because church people often seem so judgmental, so critical. We stand in the door to the kingdom of heaven. We won't go in, but we don't let anybody else in either because nobody else is good enough. You understand how we do that? And we don't say it, but we think it. Sometimes we say it on the way home. I've told you all about the husband and wife who went to church like they always did, and they were driving home like they always did, and drove home without saying anything for a while, and finally the, the wife spoke up. She spoke up. She said, did you see the tattoo on that woman who handed us a bulletin? Can you believe that the women have tattoos now, and the tattooed women are the ushers at church? Did you see that woman with the tattoo? Husband said, no, honey, I didn't notice any tattoos. I didn't see any tattooed women on the way in. They kept driving home. The lady says, when we were sitting in church, did you get the distinct smell of body odor? Did you notice the body odor on the woman in front of us? If she can afford an iPhone like she had, which she never put down all through church, I would think that she could afford a rag and some soap. Did you smell that lady? Husband said, no, honey, I didn't smell her. I, I, I didn't notice her or her iPhone. I didn't see her. Yeah. And she said, and that preacher, that preacher, you would think he could say it in a shorter amount of time. He's just up there wagging that Bible, but he never reads it. He never reads it. And I don't know why in the world he doesn't read the King James Bible. He's reading some translation nobody's ever heard of. Did, did you notice that he never reads out of the King James Bible? Husband said, I, I, it's all the Bible to me. I didn't pay any attention to what translation he was reading and the woman said didn't pay any attention a lot of good it does you to go to church <laughs> a lot of good it does you to go to church I know you don't say it and honestly, at Woodburn, we don't have a lot of critics and complainers. We don't have people who say it, but, but we think stuff, don't we? We, we think it. We, we think it. We become critics of people, critics of church, and critics of nearly everything. We don't have to say it, but, but we think it. But, 
the, the problem is what happens when, when, when you flip that switch in your own head. When you start standing back and judging as opposed to being in the middle of it and experiencing it, you're no longer worshiping. Do you understand that? Or for that matter, you're no longer living your own spiritual life. I mean, Jesus says this everywhere. Have you not read this stuff when Jesus says that you can't possibly be focusing on the, the plank, uh, the, the, the speck in your brother or sister's eye if, 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 unless you overlook the plank that's in your own eye? You see, the moment you start trying to fix other people, you stop thinking about what needs to be fixed in you. And honestly, if you're like me, we could spend the rest of our lives just working on ourselves. Nothing like enough time to start worrying about other people. We've got to stop worrying about other people. I mean, it's just plain. Anytime you become a critic, you're no longer a participant. See, that's the problem with a lot of us. We think that if we criticize, we've participated. But, but criticism isn't participation. If you come into worship and, and all you do is sit back and think about what's too loud or what's too soft or how many instruments are on the stage or, or, or who's singing what or what we haven't sung in a long time, you understand your brain can't do that in worship too. It, it can't criticize and judge and evaluate in, in worship too. And you can't, in your spiritual life, go around criticizing and finding fault with everybody else. You just can't do that. And at the very same time, see yourself honestly and truly. You can't. You can't be a, a critic. You can't be the judge. You can't set yourself up as the one who evaluates everybody else's spiritual life. You can't do that and tend to your own spiritual life as well. To criticize is not to participate. To judge is not to serve Christ. Do you understand? It's very, very different. But the Pharisees slip into that pattern of sitting there in the right place, looking okay, but in their hearts, it's, it's not right. But Jesus sees the heart. He hears that voice of the silent inner critic, and he, and he calls them out on it. And he still does. He still would. You and I don't fool anybody. Jesus hears that voice that's in your head that only you hear it. And you never say this stuff, but still you think it. But the fact that you think it, the fact that I think some of these things is pretty good sign that inside there's something profoundly wrong with me spiritually. I don't see it because I'm too busy looking at what's profoundly spiritually wrong with you. But seeing what's profoundly spiritually wrong with you isn't going to make me one inch closer to Jesus. Verse 30. 29. Levi held a banquet in his home. Jesus says the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, other guests also ate with them. And Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Who gets to call other people scum? Who gets to look down on people like that? You understand? These guys think of themselves as being so righteous, so good. They think of themselves as being God's right-hand men, and yet this is how they think. This is how they talk. Who do you think you are eating with such scum? You may or may not have heard that the Pharisees in Jesus' day had a custom. They had a prayer 
It was a, it was a three-part prayer. And, and a good Pharisee, a good Pharisee was supposed to pray this every single day of his life, first thing in the morning. He was supposed to rise out of bed, and he was supposed to say, God, I thank you. Thanksgiving is good, right? He would say, God, I thank you. I thank you that I was not born a Gentile. Okay, you know, right, that for Jews, there are Jews and then there's Gentiles. And we're talking about race here. Jews and then everybody else. Everybody else was just one race, Gentile. And Jews never cared for Gentiles. So they were supposed to get up and say, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile. And I thank you, second part, thank you that I was not born a fool. Thank you, Lord, I wasn't born stupid. That's what they prayed. Thank you, Lord. I was not born a Gentile. Thank you, God of heaven, that you did not make me a fool. You ready for this one? You ready? Number three. And thank you, dear Lord, that you did not make me a woman. Don't you, don't you throw your purse at me, man. I didn't say it. <laughs> thank you, God that you did not make me a Gentile. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a fool. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a woman. Thank you, God, that you made me, me. Oh, my goodness. You have a list like that? A, a list of people that you think, God, you're not like? You ever do that? Sort of see people and think, Lord, God bless her. I'm really glad I ain't nothing. God didn't make me like her. And I'm glad God gave me good sense. I'm glad God gave our kids good sense, not like other people's kids. You know, is that interesting how very quickly we uh, put ourselves up? It's, it's called pride. Pride wears many, many faces, but, but, but this is the ugliest. It's, it's, it's that tendency to put oneself up very, very high and look down on other people. And, and it is so delicious when we do that. It really is delicious. It feels so good. It feels so good to look down on other people and, and, and put yourself up like that. I mean, it feels so good that, that you can actually live your whole life this way. And if you do this, and most everybody around you does this, then it's hard to understand how very, very wicked it is. I mean, pride's a real sin. And it's not a small sin. This tendency to look down on other people, this isn't small potatoes here. Open your Bible and do this to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, no seven. <laughs> That's pretty good. Six things the Lord hates, no seven. Seven things he detests. Top of the list. Haughty eyes. The Hebrew word there is just high. High eyes. In other words, eyes that look down. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Six things God hates, no seven. And what's the top of the list? Actually above murder, if you notice, above murder. It's eyes that look down on other people. God hates that. He hates that. 
Well, there must be worse things in the world, Brother Tim. I mean, you're getting your undies in a bunch over pride. I mean, there's some people who look at porn. Yeah, isn't that interesting that somehow in the list of things God hates, your pride is higher than somebody else's porn. Do you see that? It's a top of the list thing that God hates. And it's most likely found inside you and me. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? We don't get to look down on other people. It doesn't matter who they are or how different they are from us. We don't get to look down. We don't get to think of ourselves in this way. We don't get to call anybody else scum. God hates that. He hates that. Pharisees and teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them. Again, once more, they didn't say this to Jesus, but Jesus answers them just the same. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Those who think they are righteous. It's a devastating kind of sickness to be sick and not know you're sick. It's a devastating kind of spiritual condition to think that you are right with God, but be so wrong in your heart. It's a devastating kind of delusion to believe that because you've made the outside look so good that somehow God's not going to see the perversion of your heart. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I came not for those who think they're righteous, but for those who know that they are sinners and need to repent. That's the thing about the Pharisees. They don't seem to know that they're sinners. They can see everybody else's sin from a mile away in the fog. They can tell you all day long how everybody else ought to be at the altar repenting, but they don't see that in themselves. Would you think about yourself for just a moment here? You, you, you call yourself a Christian, and that is good, but let me ask you, are you a genuine follower of Christ, or are you just one who shows up? Because there's a difference. A, a follower of Christ, a disciple, is one who follows in order to become like him. Which means as long as you've been at this now, as long as you've been showing up at church, there should be a remarkable transformation taking place in your life and mine. We should be more and more like Christ every single day. The problem is that if you ask people in the world, they would probably say something like, I, I really like your Christ, but I really don't care for your Christian because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Something really broken with church people who can do this week after week after week and not become one bit more like Jesus. There's something wrong with what we're doing. There's something wrong with us when we can come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and see the faults in everybody else. We can tell you exactly what would make the service better, what would make the sermon better. We can tell you what would make everybody else better, but we never turn that critical spirit on ourselves. We never ask those questions about ourselves. We're not interested in ourselves becoming better because we think we're perfect just like we are. Can you not 
find a way to silence that voice of the inner critic inside of you? Do you not understand that that is spiritual poison for you? Probably need to stop worrying about everybody else's spiritual life and start working on your own. And that list of people that you're glad you're not like, that list of blessings that you have that you're so thankful that God made you like this and not like other people, do you not understand that that tendency you have to look down on other people is something that God hates? Whatever you can say about other people, whatever makes them detestable to you, there's six things, no seven, that God detests. Top of that list my pride and yours the way we look down on other people God hates that hates it one day Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said you guys are like graves like graves in the cemetery like a grave where the grass is all mowed and, and the tombstone is marble and polished and saddled with fresh flowers. It looks so good on the outside, looks so alive on the outside, but inside, there's a dead body. Jesus told the Pharisees, you're walking dead. Pray with Oh God, we church people have become masterful at making it all look good. We've become so expert, we can tell everybody else how they could do it better. We have become so shrewd at this. We can point out everybody else's faults. God, help us. From our high place, we have learned to really enjoy looking down on other people. Oh God of heaven, bring us down. Humble us. Help us to understand that we are the sick ones. We are the sinners. It is not our sister or brother who is out of step with you. It is us. It is not the speck in my brother's eye that is keeping me from you, oh God. It is the plank in my own eye. It is not the songs, the drums, the noise that keeps me from worshiping you, oh God. I have a heart that won't worship. It is not, Lord God, that you have made me so perfect and so good. It is simply that I am not able to see myself as I really am. Oh, Jesus, in the same way that you looked into the hearts, that you stared into the hearts of the religious crowd in your day, would you stare into our hearts and give us eyes to see ourselves? If there is a sin 
that would break our hearts today, Lord God, let it be our own sin. If there is something wrong today, Lord, that would make us angry, let it be something wrong that we see in ourselves. If there is a person who should be laying across this altar in repentance, then Lord, let it be me. Let it be ourselves. It is not our brother. It is not our sister. It is ourselves. We, oh God, need the Savior. We need to be changed. We need to follow you, Lord Jesus, so that we can become more like you. Make us to follow you, that we can become like you. We pray in your gracious, merciful, holy name.